1: There have been two more fatal hit-and-run collisions since we last talked about this. The latest happened just this morning here in Toronto involving a pedestrian. A woman in her 70s has died after a hit-and-run near Islington and Finch. Police say they're looking for a black SUV with possible front-end damage. The woman is the 33rd pedestrian death of the year in Toronto, the 11th senior to die while walking outside. And the 32nd was an 84-year-old man who was critically injured after he was struck by a vehicle near St. Clair and Christie. That's my neighborhood. On Friday night, he died in hospital yesterday. It seems to me that there are more of these that are hit and runs all the time. What is going on? We'd like to hear from you, as always, on this. The number is 416-360-0740. Toll-free 1-866-744-740. one 740 And now I'd like to welcome John Burnside, former Toronto City Councillor and former police officer. Hi, John. Thanks for joining us.
2: Thanks for having me, Libby.
1: So am I imagining this? Is this, uh, you know, just serendipity? Or are there more people leaving the scene and leaving somebody lying on the ground?
2: Yeah, it certainly seems that way right now. Of course, I haven't seen the statistics over the course of the last 10 years. Uh, and strangely, these things tend to come in clumps. And I don't know, don't ask me why, but we that's often the case. So, you know, it's almost counterintuitive that there'd be more hit and runs, especially with more cameras out in society and more ways to get caught. Uh, so, I mean, I'm at a loss as to why there are more hit and runs. I mean, I have a lot of ideas as to why there are more fatalities, and, but that's a little bit different.
1: Well, in terms of more hit and runs you know we saw the statistics last week about the number of tickets going way down in 2012 i think it was there was enforcement the police got rid of it in 2012 now they're bringing it back does does it have to do with people thinking that maybe they can get away with it particularly if the collision is somewhere where they know there's not a camera
2: well, absolutely. And I, that's one thing I, was, I railed about at Council. You know, we had this vision, so-called Vision Zero plan and modeled after uh, the Swedish uh, Vision Zero, which actually was effective. And one of the aspects of that, there were four pillars. One of the aspects or one of the pillars was, in fact, enforcement, because, you know, To change someone's behavior, if you can't do it through the environment and education, you have to do it uh, through enforcement, and that was largely forgotten. And to your point, I think over the last ten years, tickets went down by seventy to eighty percent, and and now all of a sudden, the the powers that be are saying, "Oh, there's a correlation." Well, no kidding, there's a correlation, and there has been a correlation. And I was, I was raising that issue. And unfortunately, nobody listened. Um, The idea, I think, is a little bit of smoke and mirrors. It's what what's happening right now, though. The idea that enforcement's being brought back. uh, I think they have a couple roving teams of eight officers that won't even make a dent. Uh, When I was, was a
1: million bucks for that.
2: A million, but uh, that's because it's all over time. But in the day, and I'm going back now 20 years, every division had, a, had at least one enforcement officer all the time. Uh, so I think there are like five, 15 divisions. And then they had teams from each of the various traffic units. There were four different traffic units. So over the years, uh, when they needed to make cuts, it, those were the cuts they made because you couldn't see them and no one and there just wasn't that and much political will it's only now that we're seeing a bit of political will but i think it's uh nowhere near enough to actually change people's behavior
1: hmm and what what will it take to change people's behavior
2: well i mean for sure we have to. Uh, there has to be a infor- level of enforcement. People, uh, let's let's say they're on the four hundred one. They most people will go twenty over the limit because they know they won't get a ticket till they're twenty one over the limit. So uh, I, we definitely need to increase the likelihood of getting caught. Uh, that's just by uh, the
1: way on a highway if you don't go over the limit, like the the person behind you is going to try to run you off the road.
2: Yeah, I guess if you're in a, in a sure if you're in the passing lane and.
1: Mm doesn't matter
2: <laughs> well sure i mean yeah. you know we and we can have that discussion but my opinion is very few people actually get uh bumped off the road by not going fast enough that you'll get a you know you'll get some honking you'll get some high beams and you'll get some fingers yeah, yeah. but uh you know absolutely a frustration is when people are on the four 400 series highways and they're in the the Further most furthest left lane, which is the passing lane, and they're going 100 kilometers, no question. Um, the other thing is when we talk about pedestrians, though, is that you know when I when I was a, was a kid, my mom said you know look both ways yeah. and make sure it's safe to cross. She didn't say look both ways and as long as you have the right of way, cross right? It's all about, hey, you know, I can't control, you can't control what a driver's doing. So you have to take, uh, you know, matters into your own hands. It's just like, why would I not go to some areas of this city that are really dangerous? Because I can't expect people to do the right thing. I have to protect myself. So that's another thought that I have is that there has to be, uh, it's really pedestrians, and drivers, and to blame one or the other, is really counterproductive and really just creates a uh, a toxic environment.
1: Well, I think it's fair to say that drivers have more responsibility because they're basically driving a lethal weapon. But... I mean, you know, some of the stuff that's come up, especially since, since that seminar, the safety seminar where the reflective armbands were handed out in Scarborough. I mean, some of it, oh, come on. Like they're calling it victim blaming. Uh, and there was a, a, a thing in, in the star saying predatory drivers won't care about your reflective band. I mean, at the end of the day, I'm always surprised. I see pedestrians who will walk in front of me while I'm driving without even turning their heads. And, you know, it, it, regardless of whose fault it is, they're the ones who are going to get hurt if I don't see them. And it just seems like the whole conversation is, is ridiculous.
2: Yeah. Well, you, you hit the nail on the head. There's this sense of entitlement. And I mean, that per, uh, that pervades all of society. And then there's this toxic discussion where you're a predator in a car. So, you know, that needs to be toned down. Um, I will say, like, I was going along Richmond about 6 o'clock last week, one night, and I had a green. Even the pedestrian signal going my way was green, so it wasn't like it was changing to amber or anything. Literally three people got walked off the curb right in front of me, and I had to, like, jam on the brakes. And to your point, only, not, only one of them looked up. They just walked out, and you see that even in mall parking lots, people just cross wherever, and they don't look up. They have this sense of entitlement. Hey, listen, or you might I mean, or distraction. Or distraction, um, and you know, there's actually a funny study. Uh, it was about uh, drivers, and or an interesting study, maybe not funny. And 90% of drivers. So now I'm switching to driver responsibility. 90% of drivers think they're better than the average driver. Right. And of course, the average is 50. So you got 40% of the population is overestimating their ability. And if that's the case, do these people think, oh, I'm such a good driver that I can text and drive? Right. So you
1: kind of have
2: to you sort of have to get in into the if, minds if of I people. If I ever
1: thought I was a, a particularly good driver, my husband has disabused me of that notion <laughs> for many years. <laughs> I think that's a
2: guy thing. Uh, I can t- I guarantee you 100 percent of guys think they're better than every other driver on the road.
1: OK, well, he, he actually is pretty good driver, but <laughs> we'll see. Yes, it is. It, you're right. It's probably it's probably a guy thing. And, you know, it's, I can understand why people jaywalk, especially if there's, you know, more than a kilometer between lights. But make eye contact with the driver. Make sure they see you.
2: Yeah, I mean, you can. You, it's totally legal to cross uh, mid-block, but once again, you better make sure it's safe to do so. So, uh, I live up around Leslie and Lawrence, and there's a path there, and there's actually a designated traffic signal so to facilitate people getting across. Well. All, Almost every time the light changes to red, someone runs that red. And that's a human nature thing. People don't think there's any danger to them because there isn't going to be a car turning or a car coming from the other direction. So they just whiz right through. So when I cross, I mean, sure, I have a green light to cross, but I step on the road and you know what my uh, my fate's going to be. So... I look at each driver in each lane, I make eye contact, watch them stop, and then I walk. Um, you know, does that make me some hero? Of course not. But you know, it makes sure that I'm uh, alive to come onto the show today.
1: Yeah. And I mean, in my neighborhood on the smaller streets where there's three and four-way stops... Most people don't stop. Especially
2: the three ways, once again, yeah. because they people can yeah. see the one direction. They think, oh, there's, no, uh, there's a very small chance that I'm going to get hit, so I'll go through. And I'll give you one other example. Left turn prohibitions, people break them all the time, but people very rarely go down uh, a one-way street the wrong way.
1: Okay, yes.
2: Right? Because it's, well, because there's an increased danger to them. So I think we have to start thinking in some of those terms. I definitely think the drivers uh, bear most of the responsibility, but one way or the other, you got to take care of yourself.
1: And and what do you think about this whole backlash? Is it just, you know activists uh, or them because it was interesting you know we talked about it at the beginning of the week and and in terms of callers to this show there was not one person who thought that handing out reflective armpits was a bad thing or victim blaming or anything of the sort
2: well and that's uh, yeah i think it's just there's a there's a small group of of people that have a political bent to them uh, that you know you can't make any comment about any subject or you're blaming the victim. Look, at the end of the day, if nothing else, uh, those reflective, the reflective gear that they were giving out or the, or the flashlights or whatever it was, uh, it brings awareness to people. It raises uh, the discussion. And there's no question, a lot of seniors, they will cross at night and they're very slow moving and people don't see them, you know, with the reflection of the light, if it's been raining. Uh, so there's no question there are, in my opinion, there are certain, Certain segments of the population that really need to be educated more than others, and um, and I don't think it's victim blaming. I think it's it's uh, it's raising an issue, educating people, but that doesn't preclude more enforcement. And that would be the only argument I have. It's like sending out, uh, you know, eight cops. What does that do? Uh, there's actually a business case, Libby, uh, to hire police officers just to do enforcement, like they did before. Uh, the money is is different now. In days gone by, the the money from tickets used to go to the province, but now that connection is very linear. The city gets all the proceeds from writing provincial offenses tickets. So, if there were the political will, the political guts to say, "Hey, we could, we should hire fifty more cops, uh, police officers," and and have some sort of quota, which would drive people crazy, but I guarantee you it would increase safety.
1: Hmm. Interesting thought. Let's uh, hear from Bob in Etobicoke. Hi, Bob. Hi, how are you? Fine, how are you?
2: I've uh, drive these streets quite often. Fortunately, I don't have to run any, rush out in rush hour because I'm retired now. But I do notice the problem. And, and what I see is a lot of people who are making decisions here uh, about traffic and whatnot is maybe not. That's not their forte, and maybe they shouldn't be involved.
1: What we need in this city, uh, we need a number of arterial streets, which are east-west and some north-south. And those little streets should be designated so that they're faster, maybe minimum 60-kilometer speed limits on them.
2: No bicycle lanes and no bicycles, period. And any pedestrian is on it in between an intersection should get a fine
1: okay bob i i'm, I'm going to let I'm going to let John respond uh I think that ship has sailed, but hang on and uh we'll let John respond to that um, non starter I think well, you <laughs> yeah. know,
2: I mean the joke is Bob, the seventies are calling, and they want you back um, <laughs> the The serious answer is. To an extent, I don't know about raising the speed limit, but to an extent, Bob does have a point. Uh, We're we're talking about separating uh, cyclists from cars, like uh, designated bike lanes. So if you look at the downtown, this would be a great example, is you have... You have King Street, which is a which is you can only be go on it for one block if you're a vehicle, and then there's cyclists and there's streetcars and there's a whole mishmash, and then they have bike lanes on Richmond and Adelaide. So in a perfect world, what I would do, and I know there there are some uh, technical issues, but I would actually have I would designate Richmond uh, vehicles only going west, Adelaide vehicles only going east. And I'd have the cycling tracks on uh, w- whether it's Queen or King or or down on Wellington or whatever it is. But the, I think the frustration of drivers is that when you get onto Richmond and Adelaide, there's so much construction, and then there's a delivery vehicle, oh, and now gosh. you're down to one lane, right? So,
1: but that's that's that that that's huge. That's almost everywhere. There's new construction all the time. There's there's the streets closed for who knows what reason. I, I, two weekends in a row, I tried to get to Yorkville on the yeah. weekend. I just gave up. Uh, I have a hunch I'm probably not the only person who did. And uh, it might not be great for retailers who are counting on Christmas. You know, there, there are an increasing number of places in the city. It's like, forget it. It's too much of a hassle.
2: Oh, absolutely. And that's one of, the, one of the reasons I stay away from downtown. I mean, I think the city's in a transition as well. 20 years from now, people will, pro- will look back and probably laugh at the conversation because bike lanes and, and pedestrian, uh, larger sidewalks and very few lanes in the downtown for vehicle traffic will probably be the norm. The one problem, the one challenge Toronto has, like uh, compared to a city like, let's say, New York, is New York has very wide roads. So you can have three, four lanes of traffic, you can have wide sidewalks, and you can have designated, designated bike lanes, and in some cases, parking. For whatever reason, our streets are very narrow. Like you look at Young Street or, or Queen Street, they're very narrow, so you can't accommodate everybody.
1: Uh, we don't have a lot of time left, like 30 or 40 seconds. We, we've seen so much emphasis on Vision Zero Why is it taking so long for anything to take? Is it because the design of the roads hasn't caught up yet? Why? Why do we keep having this conversation about people who get killed?
2: Because in my opinion, there are the four pillars and the city ignored the one pillar, which is enforcement. Really smart traffic. uh, Superintendent Scott Baptist, he's just around the corner from here. He was
1: just in last week. Yeah.
2: Brilliant. He used to be my boss. Didn't like him so much then, but love him now. Um, he's really smart, and I think they, and he's working with the transportation department at the city. I think you're going to see, start seeing a lot of changes. Uh, but they have to. They need the political will to admit that enforcement is a key pillar of Vision Zero, and without it, the whole thing falls apart.
1: Okay. John Burnside, former Toronto Councillor and former police officer. Thanks so much for being with us. Really interesting conversation.
2: My pleasure. Thanks, as
1: always. Okay. And that is all the time we have for Fight Back. And remember, tomorrow, Free for All Friday is coming up. So if you could not get through or if you have something else to say, call me back tomorrow.
0: You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio.